Morning, Hillside. Why don't we stand up? Worship the Lord together. Sing, I was helpless. I was helpless. Feeling life was hopeless. Desperation weighing down. You saw me searching, and you came knocking. Doors were open, hope was found. Sing hallelujah. Your grace amazes me. I was lost and now I'm found. Hallelujah. When I call, you answer me. Oh God, you never let me down. See, I was drifting. Drifting, I felt my feet start sinking. Doubt and fear pulling me down. You heard me calling, and you came running. You put my feet back on the ground. Sing hallelujah, hallelujah. God, your grace amazing.
God, your grace amazes me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, your grace amazes me. I was lost and now I'm found. Hallelujah. When I call, you answer me. Oh, God, you never let me down. God, would you give us more of a taste of your grace today? The grace that you paid so much for. Help us to grasp a little bit more. God, we want that to be what motivates us. Not religion or a sense of duty, but your grace that empowers us and reminds us of who we are because of you. So God, would you overwhelm us with your grace today? So we give this morning to you. We thank you for allowing us to be together. We thank you for what you've done for us and continue to do for us and how you love us, God. So we give ourselves to you and ask that you would have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hillside on this brisk, uh, never forget it's still winter morning. Good to see you all this morning. Got a couple of announcements for you. A lot going on in the next couple weeks. It's kind of a busy season for the church, so I'll try to group these accordingly. Um, ladies, we've got a couple of events coming up for you. Tomorrow night is the tabletop uh, Bible study and discipleship group here at the church at 645. And then on Saturday, we have our women's Bible study here at the church at 9 in the morning. Um, guys, we've got our men's study going on every Saturday, so you'll see that on Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock here at the church, so keep that in mind. And then the week following, so Monday, March 20th, we have our prayer night, which is our third Monday of the night prayer night, so you're welcome to join us for that here in the coffee shop at 7 o'clock. And then a week from Thursday, which is March 23rd, 
we're going to have a worship night. We're thinking about doing these on a monthly basis, but we're going to start with this one. So March 23rd, 7 o'clock, uh, Thursday evening here at the church, just a worship night for anyone and everyone. And then the last thing I want to mention calendar-wise is Heather Schull's memorial service. Several of you have been asking about this. Um, her memorial service is scheduled for April 1st, which is a Saturday, correct? Yes. So Saturday, April 1st at 1230. Um, Michelle is looking for volunteers to help um, stock the food and take care of all that stuff. So you can grab Michelle after the service and, and let her know that you're willing to help. But we're looking for cheese and chocolate, right, Michelle? And she can give you all the details on that. I'm not sure exactly what that looks like, but cheese and chocolate for the reception. But yeah, 1230 on April 1st, the memorial service for Heather Schull. All of this stuff is on the website, it's in the weekly email, and it's on the Bible app. So if you missed any of those dates, um, check in those places or grab me after the service and I will let you know. A um, couple of administrative things, just want to remind you, um, we, most of you do your giving online, which is awesome. COVID kind of moved us from that in-person, passing the basket kind of idea to doing almost everything online. And from what I've been reading, most churches are sticking with that. And we're going to continue to do the online, obviously, because it's very convenient. But if you want to do your offering in person, we do have baskets. There's one up here in front. There's also one back by the back door. So if you're looking for a place to put your offering, you can do that as well. And then I also want to mention and remind you that we've got printed sermon outlines on the back table there if you want one of those during the sermon. And the sermon outline is also available on the Bible app on your phone. And then last but not least, youth group, want to let you guys know you are meeting next door today. Um, Gus and Michelle are going to be leading the youth group, so youth, as we dismiss kids, make sure you head next door for that as well. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to uh, dismiss the kiddos, so please join me in prayer. Father, we uh, just come to you this morning uh, with anticipation of what you're going to speak to us through just our, our time of teaching from Dan and from what he's prepared for us, uh, from our time of worship and just our fellowship. Lord, we know that you're speaking through all of these things to our hearts and to our minds, and we just want to open up our hearts and minds to the message that you have for us today. So soften us and mold us and, and just bring us closer to you this morning. And we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We invite your Holy Spirit to just guide us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to dismiss kids and youth group. So kids, you guys can head out to the lobby for Sunday school. Youth group can head next door, and the rest of you can uh, stand up and greet one another.
morning. If you want to make your way back to your seats, that'd be great. Get started here. Good morning, good to see you all. It was oddly cold this morning. We thought it was going to be warm, but it wasn't. The uh, weather's a little bipolar this time of year, but that's the way it is. But, well, good to see you all. We're going to uh, continue in our journey through the book of Romans and um, think through kind of the role of the law and way where Jesus kind of plays into the law of God, like the moral law that was given to us way back in the day, the Ten Commandments, and uh, just the laws of, of uh, the Old Testament scriptures that we've read and seen our whole lives. If we've been around the church or if you've spent any time in the Bible, you've seen these laws. And I think oftentimes without context, the laws of God become this... Um, this sense of weighing how we weigh many things in our culture is right and wrong and and is is there enough good to outweigh the bad and it's this pendulum that swings back and forth and we're going to kind of level that playing field today and, and think about the law and how it ties to Jesus and how he came and became the fulfillment of that law and uh, really helps us understand I think where we place the law in our obedience and as we look at it so that's where we're going to head this morning. The uh, context, really, of Romans is this right living. And we're going through that book by Warren Wiersbe called Be Right. And this idea of God provides for us an opportunity to live righteous through Jesus Christ. That it's, he comes and judicially uh, slams that mallet down and says, you're just as if you've never sinned if you accept me and it becomes an opportunity to live right and then our motivation through gratitude and through placing our trust in him we begin to say I choose to live right I choose to do what the scriptures say I choose to walk and and keep my my conscience clear before God and that's really what it is but the problem is that we face as mankind is sometimes we forget we need a savior of ourselves, from our sin, from religion. We cannot save ourselves. Our good will not outweigh our bad. There's no way to grade on a curve and hope everything outweighs on this side so it outweighs our sin on this side and somehow God will justify and accept us and love us. That's not how it works. And that's what we're going to talk about the law today is the law is in place to help us understand that. That we need him. We need a savior. Man cannot save himself. And, and if, if we could, it'd be like, you know, who, how do we know when you've done enough? How do you know when you're saved from enough? How do you know when all of a sudden, okay, you're saved and you're not? If it was dependent upon us, that would be messy. But there's a, there's a strong line, and that line is God's plan for sending his Savior, Jesus, his Son, Jesus, into this world to die for the sins of the world, to pay that penalty once and for all for all who will accept and believe him. So that's the problem that we face, and that's where the law can get confusing because there are different religious settings across the face of the globe that base everything on the works of the law. 
the better you live, the better you're, you're in right judgment, you're in right place with God. And, and it's tricky because if we're living right, we are going to be in a better relationship with God. It's like any relationship, even a relationship we have here on earth. If we're living right in that relationship, we have a better relationship. We connect. There are benefits to that. So it's easy for us in our religion and in the religion of this world to slip into this place where if I just start living good and doing all the right things, then I somehow am earning my relationship with God. Versus I'm choosing to live right with God, and that way we have a good, good thing going. But it's not about that that saves me or sets me free or sends me eternally into his presence in heaven. So why? Why do we follow Jesus? Why do we care about the scriptures at all? Why do we come here on Sundays and, and look at the scriptures and walk verse by verse through Romans? Why are we doing this? Why do we seek to understand the law? Why do we seek to understand God's plan for our lives? That question why is a big deal. There's a book um, we read by, by Simon Simonet called The Why. And that, it's a great book. If you never read it, it's really good. It just challenges you in everyday life to think about why. Why do I do what I do? Um, every Monday afternoon at our, our construction company, we have a meeting. And in the meeting, we, we do a lot of team development. And, and that meeting's really not to talk about our projects, but it's to talk about our growth and how we're doing as leaders and thinking through. And so a few years back, we were doing a, a meeting, and I brought the whole topic of why up and just went around the circle and just had different people start sharing the why they're doing the job they're doing. Why are they in construction? And it was interesting to listen to different people talk. And as I wrestled it for myself, you know, I had to just kind of go through that process first before I led my team through it. I was like, why do I do construction? And I thought, well, I really love to build things. I love the tangible side of it. I like, I like this sense of, at the end of the day, you see something change, something you can be really proud of. But then you say, why, why is that? Well, I, I really like the opportunity to get all these people together that have all these different skill sets and bring them onto one project. And we've got a plumber, an electrician, and an HVAC guy like Tony, and we got all these different people, and we're all working together to complete a project. And I love to see everybody use their skills and do something great. But why? Well, if you go a little deeper, it gets to a place where there's this sense of fulfillment. And it, I don't know what it is that I, makes me so fulfilled, but I sit back and I watch all this happen. I feel so fulfilled. And what is it I like the best of that? Well, it's the why there is because people start working together. And I start seeing this, this camaraderie and this community and this collaboration start happening. And that's what really jazzes me. But why? Why does that jazz me? Well, I guess deep down, I love relationship. I've never been a, a uh, lone ranger out of my own. I've always liked to be in team. I like to be with people. I like to connect. So I just, I, I like that, that deep sense of community. But why? Well, if I think of my God, he's shown me that the best. He's community. He created us to be in relationship. He's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all working together into relation. It's this sense of I get to see a picture of my God through other people. 
And that's what I had to boil down to. And then I'll never forget, we were going around the circle and there was a gentleman, no longer works for us, but he was talking about his why. And he says, you know, I, I need to pay the bills. That's why I do this. And I, I kind of like working with my hands. Oh, okay. But why, why, do you, why do you do this? Well, you know, at the end of the day, I'm trying to save as much money as I possibly can because I don't want to work my whole life. Oh, that's, that's a good goal, but why that? Well, you know, I really, really, really want my family to be completely self-sufficient where I don't need to... Um, no one else in my family needs to work. It's just, it's just very, very simple. Oh, okay, that's, that sounds like a good goal. I want to have enough in savings to just be able to take care of anything that comes my family's way. So we're just, we're, we're good to go. Well, that's, that's a great goal too. But why? And just kept asking this question, and it got to the point where the individual said, I want to be completely self-sufficient and rely on no one in life. That was his exact words. And I said, why? And he said, why are you picking on me? <laughs> and we got in a conversation after this meeting, and he was reflecting on the people in the circle that came down to the why is I do this for God. I work every day to please him, that the work on my hands, if it pleases God, it'll take care of everything else. And he said, why didn't you pick on them as much as you were picking on me? And it was this wrestle, but it was just such a polar opposite of the why. Why do we live the way we live as followers of Christ? What is it really about? And I think our why can be skewed. I think there's stuff that can get off, and, and God wants to realign us. And I say all this to say I think this is a big part of the role of the law in our life. To help us align with God's plan. The why. And why we live this way and why we follow him. We're going to look today at not only the role of the law, the moral law, we're also going to look at the role and the, the connection between hearing and obeying God and what that looks like. And then also this passage we're looking at today talks about Jesus being appointed as the judge of our lives. And we're going to kind of see the, the role of the law and Jesus as the one on the throne with the mallet judging. Now, all the art and the pictures we usually see of Jesus, and rightfully so, is this soft, smiling, tender, kind, loving man when we see these pictures and these renditions of who Jesus is, which I don't believe that's, that's off. I believe he is a kind, loving, care, caring, tender man that loves us to death. But the scripture also says he, he will be our judge, that he's appointed by God to be our judge in the end. We're going to look at that, too. That might not be the same kind of art. So our scripture today is from Romans 2, 12 through 16. You can follow along with me as I read it. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is it those who obey the law who will be declared righteous Indeed, when Gentiles, who do not have the law, do not by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, 
their consciences also bear witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Now that can sound a little bit like a tongue twister when you read through this. And Paul had a, uh, a way of writing that way sometimes, where he just would kind of repeat himself and bounce back and forth. And we see that he's talking about the law, and he's talking about how the law is impacted by both the Jews, those who are raised under the law, those who grew up going to schools and reading the Torah and understood the law clearly and had an expectation in their family to follow the law based on their upbringing. But it also had to do with the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are anybody that's not a Jew, that was not raised under the law. So what Paul's trying to help this dual audience understand right now is the role of the law and the role of Jesus in the midst of a Jew's life, in the midst of a Gentile's life, which I would assume most of us here are. So as we look at this, we're going to start by looking at the role of the law, why the law was given at all. If we look at Galatians chapter 3, you'll see this. Beginning at verse 19, it says, Why then was the law given at all? This is also Paul writing. It was added because of transgressions until the seed of whom the promise referred had come. That's speaking of Jesus. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impact life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture has locked up everything under the law of sin, so that what was promised, even given through faith in Jesus Christ, must be given to those who believe, children of God. Before the coming of this faith, we were held to the custody under the law, locked up until faith that was to come is revealed. Now catch this. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, no longer are we under a guardian. That word guardian there, um, King James also says a tutor or a teacher. That the law was in place to be a tutor, a teacher, a guardian to point us to our need for this Savior that was coming in Jesus Christ. And I always thought it, it's, was, it's crazy to think when you look at the Ten Commandments alone. God gave Ten Commandments that no one could keep. You ever thought of that? He gave Ten Commandments that no one could keep. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If we're all to be honest, we've put things before God in our lives. And you could just go on and on and on. And then there's the ones like, thou shalt not murder. And we say, well, I've never done that, thank God. But then Jesus comes back in the New Testament, clarifies, if you even had hatred towards your brother in your heart, you've murdered him in your heart. So he's, he's saying it's a heart intention here. And so keeping the law is a heart intention. But God gave us a set of laws we cannot keep. Why? to be a tutor or a guardian to guide us back to our need for a savior. To say, when I read the Ten Commandments, when I look at the moral laws of God, I'm the first to say, I need help. I cannot keep them myself. I need him. And because of that, that's when we surrender ourselves and say, Jesus, thank God you came and died for my sins 
my lack of ability to keep the law. I think that's important to see. That's the role of the law. So what do we do with the law, though? Where, where, do, we, where do we move from there? Next part of this scripture, he says, the law is of no value if you don't try to live in it. He says some will try to live under the law, others will, will just will know it, others will actually do it. So taking action, I think, is real key. I think true belief in God and his plan for our lives, a true transfer, a trust of our lives into his, is only evident as we begin to live into it and walk it out and obey his laws and obey his plan for our lives and say, yes, I want to be a part of this relationship and live it out. It'd be like if I decided I was going to marry my wife, Jen, and I marry her, but then I don't want to live married. I'm just going to, let's just still pretend we're single. What kind of marriage is that? It's not a marriage at all, though we might be judicially have a certificate that says we're married. So it's the same thing here. He's saying if you're going to live under the law and live a righteous life, the whole plan of the book of Romans and his whole purpose is to say God is righteous and he's invited you into right living. Why? It's out of this place of I want to live under God's moral law. I want to follow him and I need your help, Jesus. Help me live this out. And so taking that action. book of James talks about this a lot. The value to just hear the law versus the value of being a doer. Faith and hearing accompanied by action shows true belief in God's word. Now listen to this, James 2, 16 through 19, it says, If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say to you, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith with my deeds. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. So what James is saying here is faith is evident through our actions, through us taking action about the things we believe and saying, you know what, this is what means the most to me. I'm going to follow you now into action. He's saying, you know, we can say we have faith all we want if someone comes to us and says, I need your help, and you're like, Oh, peace be with you. You know, I hope you're good. Instead of stepping in and saying, how can I help you? It's this, it's this tandem thing that goes together out of this gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. We respond and say, I want to live right. I want to take care of people. I want to do what God asked me to do as I live. It's that true transfer of trust. He also says that this law is written on our hearts and our consciences in this passage. And I think about how interesting the conscience is. Do you remember it as a child when you start realizing it for the first time? And you do something wrong and you're like, hmm, that didn't feel good. Oh, I feel really, I don't even want to look at my parents. Like, I don't even want to look over there because I know deep down in my conscience I've done something wrong and it doesn't feel right. God created us in his image. He created us with a conscience. He created us with a moral law written in our hearts. And the scriptures in our, in our journey through faith helps reinforce that. Helps us understand the why behind it. Why do I feel so convicted by the way I treated Johnny on the playground? Why do I feel that? Hmm. The why is, oh, God created everyone special. God created everyone equal. 
God wants us to treat people with kindness. Oh, okay. Yeah, I want to be treated with kindness, and I need to treat people. You know, like, that stuff happens as children, and it's written in our hearts. It's our conscience. And here in this passage, he's saying that as well. Gentiles that are not under the law, though placing their trust in Jesus, have found that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts and in their consciences, he says. God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, creation leaves man without excuse. We looked at this earlier when we were going through chapter 1, Romans 1, 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood that what was made so that people are without excuse. Just the very fact that, I mean, we live in a beautiful state. And we see creation like crazy here in Colorado. You get up into the mountains and you start looking around. We were up in Keystone on, on Thursday and I was just, just driving through the mountains and looking and just saying, man, God, you're great. Wow. Like his creation says this isn't just happenstance. Like poof. All this beauty from this looking vastly across the range of mountains, you know, as you, as you crest up over like Buffalo valley up here and you see the mountains to the west there you see the continental divide and that you're, you're just kind of this ah all the way down to you pick a flower and look as close as you can at it and you're like that's divine like that didn't just happen like it's man is without excuse to know there's there's a supreme being that has a plan for our lives and here he's saying this is written on our hearts the ten commandments are written in our hearts we know if we're breaking those things before we ever study and learn these things. The day and the person of judgment is Jesus. I think understanding this is really important. It comes back to that why. Why Jesus is our Savior, our Lord, our reason for living, and our reason for living right before God. Is from a place of gratitude, of hope, this place of in life and death, I want to live for Jesus. And he is my judge. God appointed him as a judge. The rest of the world's religions are based on works. They're based on hoping your good outweighs your bad. Earning your way to a place and a stature with God. That hopefully, one day, when you pass from this earth into eternity, everything works out. It's based on a hope. It's based on a gamble. It's a throwing of the dice. God will judge, he says, the secrets and the intentions of a man's heart. And he has appointed Jesus to do this. And I wonder oftentimes why he appointed Jesus. But the reality is, he appointed Jesus because Jesus is the one who takes away the sins of the world. He came into this world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He came, he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So God appointed his son Jesus as the judge because he was the sacrifice. He was the one who could throw down the mallet and say, it is finished. I have paid the price for your life. Thanks for accepting me. Let me, let me help you live now. Acts chapter 10 also talks about this. It says, we are, this is um, Luke writing, and this is talking about the disciples that were with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. 
He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Isn't that amazing to think about? He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testified about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. See, it all comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to what he did. He, he died a criminal's death on the cross. He was put in the grave. He rose again to new life, conquering death, hell, and the grave. Our sins and everything left there. That is hard to get your mind around. That's supernatural is what it is. It's hard to be able to just take that in and be like, I get it. Only God reveals that stuff to us, helps us understand, and gives us that gratitude. But in the end, it really comes back to Jesus. You know, I was thinking through the people I've spent time with that recently have either passed or, or been on their deathbed. I think of Heather Scholl and just all she stood up here and shared with us just months ago before she passed. And what did it come down to? It all came back to Jesus. It all came back to what does it matter once I'm gone? And I remember sitting with my mom and my dad before they passed and just hearing them wrestle through and they just kind of they had some great memories of the past but what really mattered now was I hope my things are good here but I'm moving on. And I remember my dad just saying why is this taking so long for me to die? I want to go. I said I don't know dad. Just hang in there, you know? But he just, I just want to be with Jesus. And I think just this, this sense of, in the end, that's all you got to have together. That's all that matters. You know, and funerals, you hear everybody's accolades and all the great things they do. But the reality is, deep down, did I finish well? Did I finish strong? And is Jesus the central place in my life? But I think there's a lot of ideologies out there that just make us think otherwise. We've all heard this one. He who dies with the most toys wins, right? Like if I just, you know, I accumulate enough stuff, I'm going to feel really good about myself. But man, I've never talked to many people on their deathbed. And being a pastor my whole adult life, I've talked to a lot of people dying. This never comes up. This never comes up like, man, I'm just so thankful for all the stuff that's in my garage. Like, <laughs> doesn't come up. Or how about he who has the best education wins? Doesn't happen. You can be as smart as you want to be. You can, get, you can gain as much knowledge as you possibly can, but it doesn't happen. What about most religion, religious devoted person wins? The one who is, goes to mass all the time, goes to whatever you want to say. Just like everything they do, they just, they're so devoted. They never missed a beat. That wasn't what was taught either. Religion never saved anyone. And in the end, again, if you're saying, well, thank God I did all these great things in my life. Now I'm good to die. Versus thank God I know who did great things for me. And I'm grateful and I'm thankful. And I know Jesus this one, though, I think this, a lot of people fall into this one. <laughs> he who has hair like Donovan wins. Just saying. 
Sorry, just had to. I told him at the beginning of my sermon, I said, I'm going to sneak something in there. Just, just something that reminds me of you. Just see if you can pick up on it. <laughs> had to. Just had to. <laughs> it all comes back to Jesus, right? That's where it all comes back to. A place where we're like selling it out to him. So my application points today, I'm just trying to personalize it for you. Answer this question. Who gets the final say in your life when it comes to right living? Who gets the final say? And a lot of people are in a lot of relationships, and sometimes those relationships, it might be someone you're really close to gets the final say. But in the end, that doesn't work very well either. Because we don't want to live right because someone tells us we should. We want to live right because we're in devotion to Jesus and we know that's the best. Does he get the final say is really what I'm asking here. Expressing your faith through action. I challenge you to pick one tangible thing that maybe you've felt in your conscience you need to wrestle with. And give over to him and surrender to him. What would that be? What's one tangible thing? Maybe it's a way you've just been kind of treating people or treating a individual. Maybe it's unforgiveness you're carrying against someone. Maybe it's a, a thought pattern you know it's not healthy and you just kind of keep letting your brain go there. What's one tangible thing? Think about that and lay that out. And then this last one is, is more back to the judicial judge place. Do you stand righteous before Jesus? And why? And why? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt you stand righteous before him? Where if you were to walk out of this building, get hit by a car, you'd be in his presence talking to him. That he will have redeemed your life. If you don't, I challenge you to wrestle with that this morning too. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can earn, nothing you can deserve. It really comes back to Jesus. It's what he's done on your behalf. It's a beautiful, beautiful story, the story of the gospel that says that he laid his life down for you and all we got to do is accept and invite him to take over our lives. It's that simple. It's not a religious doing this or that. It's not whether you're on your knees or standing up or coming up to the altar or running 10 sprints. It's, it comes down to what he did for you and your transfer of trust to him. That's all it is. And I just want to challenge everyone, make sure you're living right before him, that he has the final say in your life, and that you know without a shadow of a doubt, you stand righteous before him. That doesn't mean you don't sin. It doesn't mean you won't struggle tomorrow and sin tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. That means you have found the one who forgives you for your struggle and your sins, and you've committed your life to him. Let me pray, and then we'll go back into a little bit of worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the opportunity to wrestle together with your law, your requirements, your desire for us, and Lord, I just pray that you will uh, just speak to us as we go through this rest of this day and through this week, that Lord, we would just find ourselves surrendering more and more to you, following you and making sure we're in line with your plan. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity today to be together. 
We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Just take a minute to consider these words. Every. 
Died in my place, my soul will 
Just
shy on me lift up your song cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs get up and praise the Lord so come on my soul don't you get shy on me lift up your song cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs Nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing.
responding this way with a life and words of hallelujahs are you holding on to something ask the Lord to reveal that Jesus, you can have it all, you can have it all, here I am, here I am, you can have it all, you can have it all, here I am, here I am.
Why don't we stand and, and end with this chorus? Let's not hold back. Let's just give him everything. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Because all that I have is a hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know it's not much, nothing else fit for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, we throw up our hands, praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a For a heart singing Hallelujah, Hallelujah. God help us to live a life like this. that shouts hallelujah. God, help us to truly surrender those things that we've been holding on to so we can freely live a life of worship, a life of praise to you out of gratitude, not out of religion or duty, but in response to your grace, Jesus.
Have a great week. Let's keep singing that throughout the week.